Please listen carefully. Hello, and welcome to the Auckland's Daily's Weekly Roundup. I'm Carissa. And I'm Ariel, and we're working hard to put solutions in view and optimism in movement. Hi, we're back again with another episode of the Weekly Roundup and another great week of solutions to share from the Optimist Daily. Ariel, how was your week? You're in a different location today. Yes, I feel much closer to you, actually, because now I'm on the same side of the Atlantic. The same continent. (laughs) Yes, the same continent. I've had my first few days at my parents' place. Um, and it's nice to be home. You know, you can mm-hmm. you can kind of just get comfy again because mom always has a full fridge and she's very particular about how laundry is done and everything. So I just have to sit back and pretend to be a kid again. <laughs> I mean, that can be kind of nice sometimes. Yeah. How about you? How are you doing? I'm good. I had just another nice week, a productive week at work, I feel like. I'm actually laughing because my animals have been a little bit rowdy this week. We relate to the pod record because (laughs) um, I just put up my Christmas tree in my own room just because I'm also with my parents right now for the time being. And so I decided I want a Christmas tree up in my room and I hear my cat jingling with the ornaments Uh already and I'm really scared it's going to tumble down. And then my dog is barking to go outside. And so (laughs) sounds a bit chaotic. A bit chaotic at my house, (laughs) but love the rambunctious animals. They've been cute and Mm -hmm. it's good to have both my pets in one place. So yeah, I guess other than that, I had a pretty chill week. I got to catch up on a couple things I missed like last week, how I missed the Country Music Awards. Mm. And I caught up on it this week, actually, as I was just doing some work at night or even last night decorating my Christmas tree. I had it on in the background. It's been like a couple stages (laughs) of (laughs) trying to catch up on it. With that in mind, that kind of brings me to my solution that I was happy to see on the Optimist Daily. All right. So I guess I'll jump into it. So the solution I have to share today is 35 years later, Tracy Chapman is the first black woman to win the CMA Song of the Year. And the CMAs, like I said, are the Country Music Awards. Wow. I've never watched the Country Music Awards, <laughs> um, but I I think I would think that it's not common for them to award something to a song that's this old or that debuted so long ago. Yeah, this song is kind of like a very interesting case, I guess. I can kind of talk about it because I am a country music fan, so I do know the country music sphere and like what's going on. So um, Fast Car is the song, and Tracy Chapman wrote it 35 years ago. And this year, Luke Combs, who is a pretty big country name, country singer right now, Um, released a single of a cover of it. And so it's kind of like had a newfound appreciation once again. Mm. And it was nominated for a lot of awards in this award ceremony in particular. And so... Wait, the cover? Yes, the cover of it. The cover of the song? The Ah, cover. And then I think because it was also nominated as um, song of the year, like the songwriting credits obviously go to Tracy Chapman. Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah, it did really well. So there was a lot of newfound appreciation. And I think there was a lot of ta- like, um, this isn't really discussed in the article, but this is my own uh, viewpoint. It's kind of been discussed a lot in the media, because it's an interesting situation, like it's winning awards and stuff, but it's an old song. And it's also a cover mm. that's been 
made famous by a white man singer when it's uh, originally by well i think like like fast car is already very famous yes I, exactly it's been like kind of discussed for that too they're like oh well now it's like relevant but it is famous and it has had its own moments of kind of coming back um i think at some point in recent history like maybe 10 years ago it had a moment again because somebody covered it but not as big as this one at least in like the country music sphere but mm-hmm. it is a very famous song it's a great song and um when it came out 35 years ago i think it was nominated for like three grammys or something oh, wow. yeah tracy chapman is awesome she actually became the first black woman to even win this particular category and it's a long awaited acknowledgement because it wasn't originally nominated long ago for this award i see okay i actually don't know anything about the country music awards country is not necessarily my genre like i don't automatically go to it i do enjoy (laughs) country music i'm very into it once it's on but it's not really something i seek out so sorry if i sound ignorant about the whole situation but tracy chapman's version one song of the year or like the original version let's say one song of the year but then luke luke combs is it yes luke combs he also got song of the year for this or he won a different category i think um the other category that it was i think it was like single of the year and so that was actually his honor and the team behind it who mixed it and produced the song um, took the honors for that one just because it was different, but because it was also nominated for Song of the Year, yeah, the songwriting itself um, is a different honor than oh, the performance. Okay. Got it. All right, I think I'm I'm back on track. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> yes, and then I think when Luke Combs won in the other category that the song also won for, he also thanked Tracy Chapman and said how you know it was just like one of the greatest songs ever written and that it was just his first favorite song. So he also made that acknowledgement in his speech. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tracy Chapman had a prepared remark. She wasn't able to be there, but um, the presenter, Sarah Evans, read her expression of her gratitude for the newfound attention to the song right now and said, it's a true honor for my song to be recognized again after 35 years. Thank you to the CMAs and especially to Luke and all the fans of Fast Car. Oh, that's good. So I kind of wanted to go into a little bit of history along the country industry. This kind of just provoked me to share some thoughts, I guess, because I'm a huge country music fan, but I'm not blind to the fact that this particular sector of the music entertainment industry is a little problematic, um, historically problematic. Um, And a lot of the fans are kind of more, you know, problematic sometimes <laughs> for lack of a better word there is like a very it seems like there's a very narrow audience of what people think tend to think of of what country music bands are okay yeah so you're saying like they're not as diverse yes exactly it's yeah. not really a diverse space in terms of the fandom and also whoever is being represented right historically i think who is famous in the country music sphere there is a lot of you know white cis men who dominate the charts the awards and recognition and so I think there is a lot of work that has been done but there is a lot of work that still needs to be made and this is kind of an indicator of a good step towards honoring that diversity in the music industry 
I think it's great too because with like a lot of different genres in the music industry and especially country, this particular honor is very important because um, country music really stems from the roots of Black musicians and Black women musicians too in particular are just very underappreciated and kind of in the shadows of a lot of artists throughout time. So it's kind of breaking down these barriers and really paying testament to music's persistent power to resonate with a wide and varying audience. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, this actually reminds me of a mini series that we did on the Optimist Daily about the history of folk music. Yeah. Or like square dancing, um, which is often thought of as a very white space. Exactly. Um, but actually has its roots in in black culture in America. Uh, so yeah, it's really nice that the CMAs have decided to honor and recognize Tracy Chapman. I mean, I'm surprised that this song hasn't already won something there. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's better late than never, I suppose. (laughs) I actually read a great article on CNN this week that highlighted this moment as well. And it was kind of focusing on this display of what country music could be. And it mentioned like this particular moment honoring Tracy Chapman. And it also dove into how, you know, Lainey Wilson is a really big country singer who is really hot on the scene right now. And she had a song about domestic violence that was nominated and won a couple awards. And so she also mentioned her speech, you know, like, I don't want people to have to relate to it, but like, I'm glad to kind of put that out there that it is real and it's happening. Um, That's also another big thing that is kind of, you know, hidden in general in the entertainment industry. And this article also kind of dove into how TJ Osborne, who is a member of the group Brothers Osborne, he was also there and I think he was a presenter. And he is still accepted by the country music industry and nobody really cares that he is um, openly gay. Um, He became the first openly gay man to be signed to a major country music label back in 2021, but it's kind of just like accepted. So it's not how it would be like maybe like 10, even 10 years ago. So there's kind of a, there's an attempt there. Well, not even that it's an attempt, like times are changing and people are, you know, the industries are making moves to be more inclusive and diverse. And people are also using their platforms. Um, Singers are using their platforms to highlight this diversity as well. I think something that stood out to me this year in the country music sphere um, earlier at another country music award show, the CMTs, which is country music television, the singer Kelsey Ballerini brought out drag queens for her performance, which was very controversial to the country music fandom. And it was important at the time because Tennessee was in the midst of trying to implement an anti-drag law that was essentially trying to outlaw drag shows and obviously target the LGBTQ plus community. So this is another example of these breakthroughs, whether it be artists using their platforms or organizations honoring people who deserve to be honored. Wow, that's really, I didn't realize that um, the country music sphere was such a progressive place or is becoming a progressive space. Um, Hopefully it just keeps making the right moves uh, towards inclusion and catering to a wider range of people. I could go into so many more examples, but these were just some highlights I wanted to add to this already 
great solution that we shared on the Optimist Daily. Thanks, because I have no... I have no background knowledge on country music. (laughs) (laughs) As any like genre or any like particular niche and stuff. Yes, subculture. Uh I guess like a country music is just like I grew up on it. Yeah, that's a really fun story. Uh, Congratulations to Tracy Chapman. Exactly. Luke Combs. Yeah. Um, My story also has to do with the entertainment industry. Yes. Um, Hmm. What is it? What are we going into with your solution? I'm going to talk about an article that's about gun violence, which is a topic that in the past decades is absolutely impossible to ignore as tragic event after tragic event happens all across the states on a regular basis. How am I going to tie this into the entertainment industry? You may be wondering. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I swear it makes sense. The article that I'm going to talk about uh, is published today, and it's titled How Teen Playwrights Are Changing the Narrative of Gun Violence in America. Hmm. So regular lockdown drills and sometimes actual lockdowns are a real part of your routine if you're an American student, especially if you're born after the Columbine High School massacre of 99. I personally don't have too much firsthand experience with this since I was Well, I was born a bit before then. I'm not going to say when, but a bit before. (laughs) And I grew up in Canada. But Carissa, you spent your school years in the States, right? Yes. Yeah. Were lockdown drills something that you had to deal with often? Yes. It was something we dealt with far too much. Um, Yeah, because I was actually born in 1999, so the year that the Mm. Columbine High School massacre happened so after that like life is just really different um like even like talking to like my parents and stuff about the lockdowns because they were like we didn't have lockdowns like when we were in school and so ever since I can remember you know it'd be like pretty often I think at least like two or three times a year there would at least be a lockdown drill and sometimes we wouldn't know about it I think when I got older our teachers were like oh yeah by the way we have like a lockdown drill but sometimes we just wouldn't know about it and we're like um like what's going on and then the teacher would be like okay it is like a drill and stuff mm-hmm. but it would be scary just having to you know like hide under the desk and lock up all the doors mm-hmm. and black out the curtains and stuff And it really didn't make sense to me when I was younger and stuff. But then as I got older and I feel like when I became like a teenager, um, when I was actually in high school is when gun violence in high school is like really picked up a lot because um, when I was at the end of like my junior high experience, I'm around like 13 or 14 is when Sandy Hook happened. And then after that, I feel like I was just so much more aware. And I think things kind of took a turn for the worse in my opinion. Mm. So yeah, that's that's a high amount of stress to be under as a kid who's just supposed to be going to school. Yeah. I also listen to a different podcast, This American Life, uh, which is one of the biggest podcasts out there. And I listened to an episode about gun violence and the kids that are affected. And it just sounded horrible because families are, are literally like moms are literally out there taking photos of their kids before they go to school because in the back of their minds they're thinking I might need to identify the body of my child like that's for me I you said that you had lockdown drills two or three times a year I remember having two lockdown drills in my entire school career yeah so I can't even imagine yeah we even had a shooting scare so like when I was in high school there was the app called yik yak and it was just kind of like a dumb app that was an anonymous like 
posting app that it was kind of like local to where you were so you can anonymously post on it and there was like a school shooting threat on it and when it happened I actually was just talking about it with my friends recently because I wasn't there the day that like the shooting was like supposed to happen the threat and stuff um I was away at a water polo tournament but I remember like reading about it and stuff and I think it ended up being that they ended up sending the school home oh, that wow. day. But a lot of kids just didn't come to school that day and they had to like send a message and then everything ended up being okay. But obviously with any threat like that, you want to take it seriously. So yeah. I'm glad that my school did take it seriously at the time. But it's just, yeah, growing up, it just was so scary. And then when I went off to college, I went to UC Santa Barbara mm-hmm. and I went just years after – um, the shooting there happened. That was a pretty big one. Oh my goodness. Um, and so I think our year was the first year that like the majority of students there like hadn't been there like when it happened because it was like four years after. Um, but such a scary like time and there were vigils and stuff for the victims of that shooting. And yeah, so I mean, it goes without saying gun violence in America is horrifying, especially when it comes to schools. I'm so sorry that you had to deal with that. Yeah. I didn't know you played water polo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did play water polo. So that was that's one thing that I'm sure in future episodes I'll go into. Okay. But I did water polo and swam. So I was out and about a lot. Wow. Okay. Um, this is a fascinating chat. I could probably go on with you forever but yeah uh, I'm gonna go back to the article because we just have a limited time of course it's really tragic that that these things are happening and by these things I should just say shootings that shootings are happening anywhere but especially at schools when there are children involved um and a lot of the times the, the kids involved aren't really part of the conversation in terms of gun control yeah. and regulations. But out of all of these tragedies comes a really powerful initiative. And that initiative is called Enough Plays to End Gun Violence. So Michael Cote, C-O-T-E-Y, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but Michael Cote, a theater enthusiast turned founder of Enough, was pushed into action after the 2018 Parkland mm-hmm. shooting. Maybe listeners are already familiar with it, but it's the the for, the Valentine's Day shooting of 2018 when a 19-year-old opened fire on students and staff at Marjorie yeah. Stoneman Douglas High School in the Miami suburban town of Parkland, Florida. And um, during this event, 17 people were killed and 17 others were injured. Mm-hmm. So at the time... Cote was a 30-something Chicago-based actor and director, and he noticed a pattern. Every time a shooting happened, people were obviously angered, they were incensed, but then they just had to return to their daily lives. So he wanted to take that anger, frustration, all of that energy, and turn it into something more lasting. In the past, Cody had worked on The Larami Project, a play based on the true story of the brutal murder of Matthew Shepard, a young gay man in October 1998 in Larami, Wyoming. He was inspired by working on this play, and he initiated a yearly contest that challenged high schoolers to write short plays addressing not necessarily the act of gun violence, but rather the effects. So according to Cody, the young people get selected then they get a stipend, 
they get produced, they get published, they get their plays workshopped, they get tons of feedback. Every writer in the program who submits a play gets feedback from at least three readers. And if you go through the process of getting to the point where you're a finalist, you get feedback from up to six readers plus the selection committee. So it sounds like there's a lot of support. The plays that are involved are only 10 minutes long and they tackle various angles of gun violence from police encounters. This year, there's a humorous look at the limitations of a school kindness week that was implemented in the hopes of reducing gun violence. And yeah, the impact is tangible. It draws in local communities, politicians, uh, I think even the mayor of South Bend who face some tough questions from the young actors and directors. Um, another one of this year's winning plays is titled The Smiles Behind by Nayara C. Bell. And it depicts a heart-wrenching meeting between a little girl and a police officer on the verge of shooting her brother. And the playwright, Bell, her inspiration stemmed from the tragic violence against young black men and her play aims to offer a perspective that respects both the African-American community and law enforcement. So these kids are really tackling complex social issues. Yes. And through this initiative, it's just remarkable how lives are, are being transformed. So for instance, mothers who had lost children to gun violence formed Connect to Be the Change and partnered with the South Bend Civic Theater uh, and there they stage readings and empower youth to become what they call change agents. Uh, some other people who were involved went from grieving parents to directors, and they cast survivors of actual school shootings in plays that reflected these individuals' stories. So at the moment, Koti's initiative, Enough, isn't really paying the bills for him, but the impact that it has is absolutely immeasurable. And his dream is to see these plays staged in every state, even at the White House, um, because it's a platform not just for expression, but for healing and change in communities that have been affected across America. And as I said before, those who are in charge of passing legislation about gun control and regulations do not often hear the voices of the children and families who are the most impacted by their decisions. So at least this initiative is a pathway for their perspectives to be seen and heard. So yeah, I just thought that this was a really, really important story to cover. Nationally within the States, school shootings are still happening on a regular basis. So. Um, something you mentioned in this article that kind of reminded me of just like two contrasts actually that both came with like presentations and plays and stuff was the fact that you mentioned that there was one school play that took a humorous look at the limitations of a school kindness week. And so we actually had a school kindness week when I was in junior high and it was called Rachel's Challenge. And it was started by, I think, the father of this girl named Rachel who was killed in the Columbine shooting. And the whole premise of the week was, it was good. Like obviously kindness is important and stuff. And the whole motto was, you know, a chain reaction of kindness can change things. But I think we know the unfortunate reality that just like, some kindness isn't going to stop school shootings or gun violence. And so that was kind of interesting. But in contrast, I remember something that actually impacted me and really got me thinking about, you know, like gun violence and what we can do about it was this play that I went to that was put on by um, 
an outside company. We took a field trip actually to go see it. It had to deal with gun violence in Black communities and the people who were affected by it and the mothers were putting it on and they talked, came out. I didn't know they were there, but they came out and talked after. It actually wasn't a play. I think it was actually like more like a video that they showed, but then the mothers came out and talked about it. I thought that was much more impactful, like actually talking about like what is causing this and what you know mm-hmm. we can do. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you on that. This is a great conversation about a really important topic, um, actually two very important topics about diversity and um, also healing through creativity and getting different perspectives out there. Another satisfying roundup of solutions. Uh, We also have some other great solutions from this week that you can find on our website. That includes Kenya introduces a national tree planting day to combat climate change. Understanding feline faces, cats communicate with 300 facial expressions. Meet Filkin's Drift, the band walking 870 miles to promote environmentally friendly touring. And New York surgeons celebrate completion of first whole eye transplant. We also have Unlocking the Treasure Trove, your guide to secondhand furniture shopping online. Then we have Developing Public Lands for Affordable Homes. Parental Leave Revolution, South Africa's landmark decision sets new standards. And what are neuro... Neurobics? Mm-hmm. Neurobics? <laughs> Memory Coach Jim Quick's three brain-boosting tips. We have all of that and more on The Optimist Daily. And if you want to start your day off right, make sure you subscribe to our free daily newsletter to get these solutions straight to your inbox every weekday morning. We also have more on our social channels. You can find us at The Optimist Daily on all of our platforms, including Threads and Pinterest. The only different one is on X, previously known as Twitter. On there, we are owed to optimism. And we're a small team of optimists working hard to bring you positive news. If you want to support our mission of putting optimism out there into the world, click the link on the show notes to find out how. And remember, support doesn't always have to be financial. Even just recommending our podcast to a friend or leaving a positive review on Apple or Spotify or just forwarding, sharing a solution on your social media channels would be a great help. I guess that's all for this week. Yeah, have a great weekend, everyone. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) In your car, that one, right?